Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 552 for April 7th, 2021. On today's show, an archival interview with Barbara Dennerlein. We're going to do another one from the past on the show. Next week, we'll be back with current interviews. Alexa Tarantino will be my guest on the show next week. But we're doing another uh, archival one. I've just I've been on the road a ton this past week and just didn't quite get my act together enough. But again, I'm actually kind of happy about that because this show goes back so far now. This is episode 552 today. The original episode number of this interview was 54. So unless you've really been listening for a long, long, long time, there's a lot of these that you probably missed back when they first happened. This was one of a few interviews I recorded in Berkshire County, which is where I'm from originally in Massachusetts on the on the western end of Massachusetts. I did some at the uh, Tanglewood Jazz Fest, the one that most immediately springs to mind is Joe Laurie. And then uh, Pittsfield had a music festival that I went to and recorded some interviews there. And this is the one that most springs to mind from that. And then I recorded the industrial jazz group somewhere. And in my mind, that might also have been in Berkshire County, but it also might not have been. Might have been in New Jersey or someplace. I can't quite remember. I'd have to go look. So anyway, it was cool for me because it was, you know, that thing where you like, you come home, but you're doing the thing you wanted to do. You know, the, like the kind of Hollywood movie trope almost. It was it was fun on, on all of those occasions to get to go back to Berkshire County, where I was just a little kid when I had lived there, but a place that I always loved. And to be doing this thing of interviewing jazz musicians, uh, which was something I was very excited about. And I just remember feeling really cool, like driving over there to do uh, these interviews. This one was right before a concert uh, that Barbara gave, which uh, we'll hear more about during the interview. As I'm recording this intro, I'm in Auburn, Alabama, where some of you might remember I was living back in 2013 after the Jazz or Bust tour, and I did a big fundraising campaign there on Kickstarter, or here, I guess I should say, (laughs) to uh, bring the Jazz Session back after it had been off for about nine months. And uh, many of you were extremely generous during that time and was able to bring the show back and move up to State College, where I then lived for the next uh, six and a half years or so. I came down to Auburn from State College, where I was visiting my kids, just kind of for a change of scenery, but realized almost as soon as I got here that I was really enjoying uh, being around my kids so much. And uh, I'll not live in State College again, but Uh, for the time that kind of exists while I'm uh, looking for the next thing to do, being able to hang out with them nearly every day was super fun. So I'm actually going to just stay in Auburn for uh, the rest of this week and then head back north. You might be familiar with uh, Patrick McCurry's name. He is a jazz saxophone player and also a classical saxophone player. And he also uh, was on a bonus episode recently. And he's the fan of this show who originally got me to move to Auburn, Alabama back in the day. And I've been hanging out with him this week and watching his kids play soccer, which is awesome. In fact, the first soccer game I saw was his youngest son, John, and it was John who caused Patrick to get in touch with me many years ago because Patrick used to listen to the jazz session in his car. And one day he got in the car and was listening to something else, I guess. I I don't know how he had the nerve to do that, but anyways, was listening to something else. And from the back seat, his son, John, who was two or three at the time said, put on Mr. Jazzy Jason. Uh, 
And uh, Patrick thought that was so adorable, and rightly so, that he messaged me about it, I think on Twitter or something like that. And uh, we began to chat, and then when I went on my tour, I stopped in Auburn because of him. And so now, you know, John is uh, not that much shorter than me <laughs> at this point, and uh, that's a little terrifying. But uh, it was awesome to uh, awesome to see Patrick's kids all grown up, because it had been many years since I saw them, and it's been fun hanging out with him here in Auburn. If you would like to continue to support my travels, and or I should say, if you'd like to begin to support them, if you're already supporting them, thank you for doing that, and please continue. If you'd like to begin to support my travels, which are continuing, you can do that at thejazzsession.com slash join by becoming a member. It's only 5 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month. It's not too, too expensive. If that's too expensive for you, I totally get it. But if it's not, it's hugely life-changing to me because this is my primary source of income. I live on about $700 a month. And uh, that's from a mix of the jazz session and another Patreon that I have and a little bit of freelance work that I do. And that's not a lot of money. Uh, That's fine. I'm making it work. But obviously, every five or ten dollar pledge is just an enormous change to my life in a in a way that might not be imaginable if you uh, if you haven't kind of lived on a very, very little amount of money. And if you have and you can't imagine it, maybe that's another incentive to join. So go to thejazzsession.com slash join. $5 a month gets you track of the week, which is an extra episode that goes out each week in which an artist talks about a track from one of their releases. $10 a month gets you that. So four main episodes, unless there's five Wednesdays in a month, uh, but four main episodes of the show, four tracks of the week, and then a monthly kind of grab bag bonus episode. This last month... In uh, March, it was about a half an hour show that contained uh, extra interview segments from four or five guests from this season. So if that's the kind of thing you would like, go to thejazzsession.com slash join. Don't forget to tell your friends about the show, share it on social media. All of that makes a huge difference. And now let's step into the Wayback Machine, back to 2009, Pittsfield, Mass., and Barbara Dennerline. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is available online at thejazzsession.com and also in iTunes. This week's guest is organist Barbara Dennerline. Her new album is Spiritual Movement, number two. And from that, here's the opening track, The Unforgettable.
My guest is organist Barbara Dennerline. She is, of all places, in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, for uh, a concert tonight as part of the Pittsfield Jazz Festival. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Jason. Hello. So you're, uh, you're getting a chance to test out the organ here at the First Baptist Church in, in Pittsfield. And uh, we were talking just before the interview began mm-hmm. that you determine the material you're going to play after you've had a chance to hear the organ. What are you looking for in an organ? Oh, uh, there are different uh, things I'm looking for. The first one is how the reaction of the organ is, because pipe organs are not always very fast in responding, like, for example, my Hammond organ, where I press a note and immediately you can hear the tones. So that's different with pipe organs. And then the sound is totally different from every single instrument. Um, Some are smaller, some are bigger, and... Uh, the, the range of, of the uh, stops you have got, the sound possibilities are so different that I just want to listen and I want to get a feeling for the instrument and then I I choose what I want to play where I feel most comfortable and where I think uh, the, the songs which correspond best with the instrument and that's how I mostly uh, choose my program. So that sounds like kind of a challenge because you're never sure what you're going to get until you show up at the venue. Exactly. I mean, this is a much more challenge than playing, for example, Hammond organ, where you can predict more or less how the sound will be. Uh, With pipe organs, you can't at all. There are so different... uh, uh, possibilities with those organs that you never know and it's always the challenge how to make it work for the music I'm playing and especially if you think about uh, jazz music where it has to swing or groove or whatever if you play funky, I, I mean I do anything on this organ and uh, then it's very important how the organ can be handled. There are organs where you press the uh, key and it's very easy to press it down. Others are totally mechanical and it's very, you need a lot of power to press uh, the key down. So all things which you have to get comfortable with or also how the pedals react. I mean, my foot pedal playing is very essential, especially for jazz music as a uh, what you play with your bass it's like a bass player in a band and and it's the basic in a way for the music and it's uh, always there it must uh, it must um, be the the basis for for uh, any jazz composition is it uh, does it also add some fun or excitement or spontaneity to you also because you're not exactly sure what the instrument's going to sound like? No oh, two yes. performances are alike. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's always, there are always surprises and <laughs> things which are happening. And, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. There are organs uh, where you can um, store registrations. These are the most comfortable ones, of course, because that gives you the possibility to make a lot of sound changes, sudden changes, you know, from very soft to very loud or a few registers to many. You can't do this without uh, without the, the uh, computer programming because when you are playing, you can't immediately uh, uh, pull out about uh, 20 stops in, in one second. That's sure. not possible. It's possible with the Hammond because everything is smaller and you can handle it more quickly and also you know the instrument and with every pipe organ I see it for the first time mostly except when I come back to play then I know it a little bit better but uh, the places where, where you have to pull out the stops or you make the couplers or all that stuff it's, it's always different it's never at the same spot so you have to orientate totally new at every instrument Sure. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the music that you've written specifically to be performed on on pipe organ, mm-hmm. and you've had a couple of recent releases that have focused on that type of music. Uh, can you f- talk first? Have you played pipe organ ever since you also played Hammond organ, or is that a recent addition to your well, your not arsenal? not really recent, but uh, of course later w- when I started, I started with a small electronic organ when I was 11 years old, and um, very soon um, I fell in love with the old electromagnetic Hammond organ, of course, and um, that was my big dream to be able to play that instrument. So this was my first choice, and uh, I I was always interested in pipe organs, but somehow I have never had the ability to play it. I mean, uh, that people allowed me to (laughs) play a pipe organ because you have to go to a church or somewhere, and uh, in Germany where I grew up, People were not so keen about someone playing jazz music in the church and not playing classical music, which I also do for me as, as uh, let's say, private fun. And sometimes I quote something from Bach or so. But I didn't have the possibility. So uh, it came up about uh, 15 years ago because um, there was a promoter of a festival. It was a, a Johann Sebastian Bach festival in uh, Germany, in Würzburg. And he asked me if I wouldn't, wouldn't like to play a, a pipe organ, jazz on a pipe organ. And I said, yeah, why not? It's something I always wanted to do. And um, he gave me the possibility to do this in a concert. And he made the contact to a church in Munich where I live and uh, I was allowed to go there and get used to that instrument. It was totally new for me, a new experience and I have the key of that church so I was I had time to to uh, rehearse on the instrument, and I had a lot of fun playing that concert. And over the years, I did more and more and more, and I uh, got more experienced. And uh, um, nowadays, I I have a much better routine, of course, with with any instrument. So when I go somewhere, very quickly I know what's going on, and I feel comfortable with it. So this is a question of experience, and. Um, well, uh, in 2001, I think, I did my first uh, recording on pipe organ, and it took me a couple of years to make the second one, but I'm someone, I'm kind of perfectionist. I always want to be really uh, secure and uh, feel good about it, and so now I have my new pipe organ city out, which has been recorded at one of the most famous churches in Germany. It's in Berlin. The Kaiser Wilhelm Gedächtnis Church is the name. And they have a Schuke organ. This is the name of the organ builders, a very famous organ company. And this has been renovated, and it's a beautiful organ. And, well, I have made this recording live with audience, which is another challenge, of course.
What uh, what impact on your composing or the compositional style did the pipe organ bring as opposed to the Hammond organ? If you play uh, organ, you always think in terms of an orchestra, I would say, because you have e any possibility. This is why I also play a lot of solo concerts. You have the pedals, you can play bass lines, you can comp yourself with the left hand, you can play the melodies, you can do anything what you want, you can play uh, uh, multi-voices and everything. So I always thought about, even w also when I arranged for my band, uh, how it sounds like a little orchestra in a way. And uh, one thing uh, which was very logical is that recently, uh, uh, two years ago, I did a recording with Hammond Organ, Jazz Trio, and Big Philharmonic Orchestra, which corresponds in a way to a pipe organ, because when you have a pipe organ, you have a lot of orchestral voices too. And when I sit and uh, start registrating at the pipe organ, I always have in mind somehow the orchestra sounds and how my music sounds with orchestra. And I think this is an idea which is behind what I'm doing. And I try to make it as interesting as possible. So this is also why I, t I try to take time to check out the sounds of the organ and to find the nice registrations and to make a lot of changes also for the audience that it's interesting. I don't want to play everything with, uh, let's say, three sounds or so. So it's always a question how much effort you want to uh, give by yourself, how much energy. The, uh, the two pipe organ records are both titled Spiritual Movements, Volume 1 and 2. Is there a, a philosophy underlying the records as well, or is the, does the title just come from the fact that it's played on a pipe organ and the music that we associate with that normally? Uh, well, the, the title Spiritual Movement, of course, uh, is, has a philosophy behind it because on the one hand, hand it's uh, something spiritual in a way because you are in, mostly in churches or evening concert halls. It's a very special atmosphere. People are quiet and you can relax. And it's like in a, in a church, you can really get to yourself and... and and sit down and relax and uh, just let it go and there's no daily life it's outside and uh, so it's it, there's this spirit there which is very important uh, to make the music that the music has has the uh, a lot of effect to the people and um so this is the one thing about the, the spiritual. And the second idea is the movement, because my music is moving a lot in a way of rhythmical movement, or there are sometimes ostinatos going on. And uh, it's, it's uh, music which has a groove. It's either it's, it's swinging or it's funky or it's even some kind of classical approach. But it's always something there which is moving. And in another sense, I want to move the audience. I want to touch the people with my music and uh, I want to get to their souls and, and if after the concert the people go out of the concert and they tell me they are so happy and they feel good or even people tell me that they have some kind of illness or or aches or pain or whatever and, and if they go out of an, uh, after the concert or listen to my music they say oh it was gone and I mean this is a great thing if you can make people happy with that so this is more or less the idea behind spiritual movement and number one was my first uh, uh, recording on the pipe or at the pipe organ and 
I, of course, I already had an idea in the in my head that it's going on to be, be a, a number two and a number three and a number <laughs> four because this is a kind of story. It's also it also shows my personal development, and um, I think from uh, spiritual movement number two to spiritual movement number two, I have made a quite a big step in questions of um, exploring the more and more the instrument and more and more play with the instrument and feeling very comfortable. In the beginning I was always quite nervous because I, I didn't really feel at home yet. You know, the Hammond organ I sit down and I feel at home because I know every, si every single uh, drawbar and, and stop you have and everything. With a pipe organ you never know because it's the first time you see it. It's It's such a diverse instrument so it's every time it's new and uh, but now I go there and I'm not nervous anymore and I feel <laughs> very comfortable <laughs> you uh, you've mentioned several times that you play uh, foot pedal bass which I know not all organists do but many right. jazz organists do uh, why was not that's true probably not many actually being a little generous there why, why is it important to you to do it well uh, first thing is there is uh, I think there is a mistake in thinking about uh, an organ because if you think about the instrument, the instrument is consisting of foot pedals and two keyboards. So it's natural to play the whole instrument. If you uh, compare it, for example, to a piano, this is consisting of one keyboard and uh, you don't just leave uh, uh, the lower two octaves away <laughs> and only play the upper part. Nobody would think about that, right? Sure. But the organ, people just leave away a third of it, which is incredible, I think. And if you uh, think about pipe organ or church organ players, organists, no, no church, no, no serious church organ player would ever think about leaving the pedals away. It's something which... Uh, which uh, has been normal or has become normal in pop and rock music because mostly the, the musicians take the organ and just play the keyboards and mostly in the uh, upper part of, <laughs> of the upper manual, right? So this is mostly the history of the organ, which is a bit poor, I think. I mean, there are great players, but there is much more, in my opinion. And then if you think about the older organists like Jimmy Smith, uh, and all the others, which is a special style, of course, they played a lot of hand bass, so they played bass lines with the left hand and just set accents with the feet mm. by hitting the pedals to give it an attack, but they played the bass lines with the left hand, basically. I think one reason is that, of course, it's very difficult to play foot pedals in the same time with your hands because you have to split up your mind in three parts or even four if you think about the right foot where you make the volume. Sure. But also it might be a question of sound because um, in the old Hammond bass sound is not very attractive for, let's say, walking bass lines. So what I did is I always had string basses, you know, um, which is an electronic bass and sounded like more like a contrabass. And nowadays I have something which, except myself, nobody plays. I have MIDI f uh, the whole organ equipped with MIDI system, so I can connect it to synthesizers and sampler. And I have sampled a contrabass sound, which I use for my foot pedals with the Hammond organ. So I have the sound of a contrabass, and this is... Um, 
a sound I developed, and it's somehow it's the Dennerline sound. <laughs> let's let's put it like that. And I could not imagine uh, playing without uh, the bass line anymore. And also, it gives me so much freedom because the bass is there. And s normally, if I would not, if I would play left hand bass, so my left hand would be uh, uh, occupied by playing bass lines. But now both hands are free, so I can comp myself. I can play solo in the same time. I can block play block chords it gives much more possibilities you have three sections available instead of two if you play hand bass When you um, when you see a, an upright bass player or electric bass player and a drummer, they often maintain both very close physical contact mm -hmm. and eye contact so that they can be you know kind yeah. of in sync. When you're playing a foot pedal bass, but you're also playing the harmony and you're playing the melody, how do you how do you sync up with a drummer in that way or with other people in the band? It seems like there must yeah. be so much going on in your brain at any one moment. Actually, um, you don't really think about it it's something uh, uh, you feel it and then you play it there's no time for thinking anymore sure, yeah. it, it must be really natural like I would compare it with dancing you don't think about what your feet and hands are doing so and, and this is uh, uh, that's how far you, sh you have to get of course to first you rehearse and maybe you still think about rhythmical things or uh, exact notes what you're playing but in the end, it has to be something which is like moving your body normally. Um, and for me, a drummer, when I play together with a drummer, is very, very important. Um, I need a, a good drummer, of course, and um, as everything is, has to float in a way because it's like a body, whole body feeling. Um, the drummer has to uh, correspond with me very well. and. It's very hard for me to play with a drummer who does not have a good timing because when I have start have to start holding the tempo, for example, by my bass lines and my comping, or I have to 
maybe he's slow or whatever, you know, and I have to make it swing and, and try to push him or pull him back, whatever. This is taking a lot of energy away from my freedom in improvising, of course, because I have to concentrate on on the basics, on the rhythm, which normally should not be necessary. Normally it should just be there and, and be the right basic for playing and uh, not something you have to really concentrate on and so um, I mean luck uh, it's a good uh, a great thing that there are so many wonderful dramas around so <laughs> this is not a big problem sure but it's very important and uh, so this must be first of all this is the most important part of the band I would say because the, the rhythm section with drums bass and let's say also my my comping which is also a very rhythmical element in my playing that has to be together and and that must be locked in as you say and then everything else comes uh, and has to fit with it but this is the uh, heart piece of the band in a yeah. way you uh, i know you started gigging in clubs uh, when you were about 15 was it uh, jazz is not a music that's famous for being accepting of women doing anything but singing. Was it a challenge for you, yeah. particularly as a young woman, a teenager, to kind of find acceptance and claw your way into the scene? I mean, <laughs> I imagine it must not have been easy. Yeah, it's funny. If you say, if someone asks you, what are you doing? And you say you're a musician then, and you're a woman, everyone always says, oh, you're singing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is kind of stupid. But um, yeah, this is because there are still not... Uh, the same amount of uh, women playing instruments than uh, men. So, but it's it's uh, changing more and more. Yeah, when I started, this was a, a big challenge. First of all, I was very young. I started to play my first concerts already with twelve or twelve, thirteen years. And uh, then I had this big instrument. <laughs> and at that time in Germany, the uh, Hammond organ was not so popular, and people thought this. Uh, a, a child must be crazy <laughs> playing such a big instrument and they say, oh girl, what are you doing with this instrument? Why don't you play piano or why don't you play flute? This is something I heard every second concert. Why sure. didn't you learn to play flute? So, But I just fell in love with the sound of the old Hammond organ, which is quite astonishing in that age and um, in at a place where n nobody else plays that instrument. So this is also a reason why I always had my own bands. I was always the band leader and because also maybe the musicians were afraid of they have to carry my organ around. <laughs> <laughs> so in the beginning it was very hard, especially uh, the logistics. I mean, you have to transport this a uh, big instrument with you and of course my, my father helped very much. He had a big car and he uh, brought it, took it to my uh, concerts and he carried it with some friends and when I was 18 I had my first own car, I had my driver's license and I went on tour I, after doing my A-level degree, in Germany we say Abitur and um, yeah, then I was alone on the roads, 18 years old, uh, well, uh, with a big instrument, and I've never met so many people with back problems <laughs> <laughs> as I did in that time. 
<laughs> so nowadays it's no problem anymore because there are stagehands and I have my technician going with me. Or when I'm in other countries, like where I have to go by plane, like in the States, I get organs from there. And the only thing is I have to see that I get the right bass sound, which is a bit difficult because, as you said, most uh, or many organists don't play it and therefore many organs don't have a string bass or even a MIDI bass but I found some people in the States who have that and, and they give me their instrument um, like John Haberai for example now in Pittsfield from the Hammond store he does that and he's a wonderful organ I can play so uh, this is makes it quite easy then but it's still it's it's uh, always a problem and um, I was always a bit uh, disappointed that there were Uh, concert possibilities where I could have played and people would have liked me to play but they could not get an instrument and mm -hmm. it would have been too expensive to carry uh, whatever 600 kilograms uh, I don't know in uh, neither do I it's here, heavy but it's very heavy yeah. <laughs> uh, around so uh, and with a plane it costs so much money so this is Well, a big disadvantage, and I always envy the horn players. That's <laughs> they right. They <laughs> have their instrument, and they have their own instrument on stage, which is uh, a big advantage, because if you think about how much energy it takes for a musician to get his own sound, and then you always have to play on other instruments, so of course you feel most comfortable with your own instrument. Sure, yeah. You, uh, you just came from the Monterey Jazz Festival, right? How yeah, was that? That was great. <laughs> It was such a great experience and uh, I had a double bill with Brian Orger who is a wonderful player and a wonderful person and uh, the people just went crazy. I mean they gave standing ovations in the middle of the song which was incredible. So it was such a great atmosphere and I I really felt very honored that I was invited. It's uh, It was the 50th uh, year yeah. to the Monterey Jazz Festival so it's a very important festival and if you look at the program and see who else is playing, then you have a very deep respect for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. Well, it's been, uh, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, thank you for taking the time. I know you're uh, anxious probably to get back to the organ and continue experimenting. <laughs> yeah, it's already so. calling Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, thank you very much, and uh, wish pleasure. you the best of luck with the concert and a safe trip back yeah. home. Thank you very thank much. You.
That's organist Barbara Dennerline from her new album, Spiritual Movement Number no. 2. You've been listening to The Jazz Session, the weekly jazz interview show, online at thejazzsession.com. The Jazz Session is also available for free in iTunes. You can just go to the iTunes store and search for Jazz Session and subscribe so you're always up to date. At thejazzsession.com, you will find every show in the show archive. You can listen to all of them from number one up to today. You'll also find written interviews, live jazz news, and lots of great links. And the Jazz Session mailing list, which is important. And the reason that it's important is because that is the primary method I use to give away free CDs. So if you are the kind of person who likes to get free music, join the mailing list, because that's how you'll find out about it. We also have a, a Facebook group, and there are hundreds of people, including many famous jazz players, uh, in that group, and that's another great way to win free music. So it's the mailing list, the Facebook group, and then listening to the show. But honestly, listening to the show is not the easiest way to win music because I, they usually don't last long enough for me to actually mention them on the show. The CDs just go the second they're on the mailing list. So uh, definitely get on that list if you can. The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet. They've got a brand new record on the way out, and uh, they'll be on the show here in the coming weeks. You can find out more in the meantime at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the Jazz Session logo. Most importantly, as always, thank you for listening. Don't forget, support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then please tell a friend and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening. Bye.